want to remind you before we get started the TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner of Purple Insider and the Blue Wire Network. TickPick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging service fees ever. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin sitting outside on a very nice but slightly breezy day. So if you hear the wind, I'm sorry. Um, this reminds me of our days back at Winter Park when yes. we didn't have any place to do it inside because the bank people would yell at us to get out of their lobby. So we'd go sit and s- sit out front of the uh, big building and do it on the... We were sitting on like a perch, like a little... I don't know. It was weird. Like we were next to like shrubbery. I mean, we're kind of next to shrubbery now, but gosh, you're bringing me back to 2017. I know. And these September days are delightful, uh, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, because really it just, are. it gets worse Beautiful from here, weather. but <laughs> there's, there's a nice breeze. So but you're, Oh, you were talking about the schedule. Like you, I was talking about the ancillary stuff. Worse from here. You're like, man, it gets worse from here for Minnesota. I was thinking about like the nice things, like the weather and yeah well i was just thinking about like the degrees going south and um potentially the season i guess we'll i guess (laughs) guess we'll find out start there well let's talk about that because you know the game that we have so often played is talk me into yeah and now we have a game to work or an actual football game to play our game with talk me into and so there's a lot of different things that we could discuss from Cincinnati moving on to Arizona but I but I like the game so we're going to do it that way okay and I want you to just start off by talking me into a win in Arizona well they contain Kyler Murray Mike Zimmer said that it's uh, wishful thinking to think that you can keep him in the pocket but they have the right rush plan in ways that Tennessee's defense didn't and Tennessee does not have a very good defense right like we knew that we knew that that would be an issue when you're going against this unbelievable athlete who's not just like quick he's quick and fast and I know that that's like people think that that sounds the same it's not it's very different things because the decision making the ability to make those throws on the run to go from one side of the field to the other pause and launch a, a throw that becomes a first down like that's the tough part of Kyler Murray so somehow they're able to maybe get some of that pressure on him where they can contain him force contain him in the pocket and and keep your keep your edges high I guess um Hoping that your secondary is able to bounce back. Hoping that Bashad Breeland doesn't have another game where he's the target of officials because of the penalties. And if he does get out of the pocket, Kyler Murray that is, then you have your receivers covered. Hoping that it isn't just it was just more of a fluke thing with your secondary and Breeland and the PI against Cincinnati. But I know you don't want me to talk about the defense. I know you want me to talk about the offense and everything that went wrong in Cincinnati. Well, they won't have 11 holding penalty, offensive holding penalties and false starts. There's got to be some sort of positive regression there because they're going to get their butts chewed this week if they do that in practice. And the thing was, they weren't see- Zimmer said he wasn't seeing them do it in practice during the preseason, so this must have just been let's chalk it up to first game nerves and the fact that they're back in a loud stadium on the road for the first time it was hot I don't know every other excuse in the book that you can say that's the reason they had all those penalties if those penalties don't exist then you're not in second and 15 second and 20 third and 30 
because they're not a team, according to Mike Zimmer, that's built to play a drop-back game. So hoping things like that happen and that you can actually have the communication on the offensive line, um, I think will play into a better situation than what they were faced with, what they put themselves in in week one. But I'm also, I mean, I don't want to, like, contradict. I want to, like, win the game. I want, like, to talk you into this. So I'm not even going to mention Chandler Jones. Maybe you'll set me up for something with that later. How did I do? Well, you, no, you did great. I mean, this is uh, always a thing that happens in the NFL where we decide whatever just happened is the absolute truth. And I don't think that the Tennessee Titans are going to be that bad all season, right? And I and I don't think not that, at all. I don't think the Green Bay Packers will. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles are winning the Super Bowl. Like there are a lot of things that happened in Week One around the league when you're not there in that city, and you can look at it and go, okay, well, that's probably not going to hold up. Oh, I but, think the Texans are winning the Super Bowl. I don't <laughs> yes. know about you, Tyrod I, MVP. I saw that game and I was like, man, book it, AFC South champs, considering everybody else in the division in the division lost and. Now, David Culley and Tyrod Taylor are, you know, the new Belichick and Brady. <laughs> I uh, do hope the best for Tyrod Taylor because I know. he got jabbed in the lung last year. And, and then he lost his job because yeah. of an injury in Cleveland. I mean, the guy's been through a ton. But, yeah, no, I get it. Like, we overreact to week one every single year. Everything looks magnified because it's the first real action. And then you, you see such a difference from what preseason football looked like to be like, oh, my goodness. Like, how did that happen? How did Aaron Rodgers, when he wasn't getting pressured, literally they weren't pressuring the quarterback. How do you only score three points? Right. Like Things like that. But, no, I, I agree with you. It's it's more magnified in the city that you're in and the team that you're covering. And I think from that 30,000-foot view, you can look at it like the league at large. And it doesn't look as bad. And I know that the Vikings lost to Cincinnati. And, like, let's not. Let's not try to shine a turd here. It was It was really bad. It was a really bad loss. But – there were some positives in that game. The fact that they were somehow able to keep themselves in it offensively in the second half. Um, there's got to be some sort of takeaway there that you can think might actually play out in Arizona. Right. I think that um, – so from the week one, that doesn't have to be who you are. Like, mm-hmm. this team should be better than that. The problem is more that 0-1 is bad with the schedule. And if you go 0-2 because you are playing a tough Arizona team and then you have to play Wilson and, and Mayfield, and, and even then, like, I'm not 100% sure you just go 2-0 and against Detroit and Carolina because you just lost to Cincinnati. So, yeah. uh, and one of those games is on the road, and Carolina almost beat you last year. So, so it's not just like, oh, right in W's guaranteed. Um, if you don't win this one, then all of a sudden just the math doesn't look good for you. The path doesn't look good for you. But as far as you talking me into them bouncing back and winning, I am very much 50-50 on this game. I, I really feel like this could go either way. I don't think what Arizona did in week one makes me go, oh, well, the Vikings could never. Like they're just It's just an L because they're so much better. I think that they're actually very Vikings-ish. The difference is Kyler Murray, or mm-hmm. could be Kyler Murray, but I think they're Vikings-ish in the way that they're flawed, but they've got a lot of talented players, and any given week they could be great or they could struggle. And that's that's my impression right now of the Cardinals until they change. So I think I'm like 50% talked into they could go and win. I'm honestly the same way, even though I just tried to set up a scenario where I'd make you believe that they could win. I will probably end up picking them to lose this game. I feel like there's some sort – I mean, we heard it today in, in press conferences and just kind of that 
tightness around this team that didn't really exist on Monday when we talked to Mike Zimmer, Daniil Hunter, KJ Osborne, they're still processing Cincinnati. Like I think on film, it kind of looks worse what you saw Arizona do to Tennessee. Not like the Vikings digesting all of their screw-ups in Cincinnati. It's really the the next opponent, I think, looked really, really difficult. So um, if you go 0-2, though, the whole that that, even with the 17-game schedule, like the whole how deep that hole is to dig yourself out of is going to be really tough because you have two really tough games back-to-back at home. And, yeah, you're fortunate that you're at home. You'll hope to play off your home crowd, the whole thing. But that's – it feels like that could be a very quick landslide. Well, and you look down the road too, and Baltimore is obviously going to be a good team. Yep. And it's this could be must win for Baltimore this week when they play Kansas City because then they have four road games. That's tough. Like, but I think overall they'll be a competitive team when the Vikings face them. Yeah. Uh, so they're not going to be easy, and they have a good defensive line and so forth. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a great defense, so that's going to be tough for the Vikings. Um, the Cowboys have a great offense. That's mm-hmm. going to be tough. Like, it doesn't ever get easy after this. So you really have to survive this and then get into the second half of the schedule because it can all be sort of undone early on. One and three, oh, and four. I mean, you are in such a big hole there. And then you don't get the luck of playing the Packers early when Aaron Rodgers has been screwing around for months. You play them at the end of the season when they'll be in full go, and presumably it'll be a race in the NFC North. So um, they how much they need this is more based on just the way the schedule plays out than it is saying that what they were in Cincinnati is what they're going to be. All right, uh, what can I talk you into? All right, I'm going to steal my own idea here, or the idea I was going to – I thought you might ask me to do. Talk me into Chandler Jones coming back down to earth and not wrecking the left side of the Vikings offensive line. You know, I, I want to nominate someone for the most taken-for-granted player of the last five years of Vikings football, and his name is Riley J. Reef. <laughs> I don't know what his middle name is, but... Um, Joe. J-O. J-O is right. That's right. Um, <clears throat> that is an inside J-Oak. Uh, but anyway, actually, when I said Delvin J. Cook the other day, it actually was Delvin J- Yeah, J- Delvin yeah, James Cook. Yeah, He's exactly. named after his dad. So anyhow... Um, Riley Reef was never a supreme Hall of Fame gold jacket, put him in Canton left tackle. He was not Orlando Pace. He's not Teron Armstead. He's solid. And when you would go up against a great pass rusher, you knew that Riley Reef gave you a chance for most of the game um, to be okay, uh, to where your game was unlikely to be ruined. I can only remember maybe one or two games where – I, Jerry Hughes in that Buffalo game destroyed him. Khalil Mack maybe once or twice. But aside from that, like Riley Reef was really solid week in, week out. And now with Chandler Jones going up against Rashad Hill, it's just a massive, massive mismatch. And that one is hard to talk you into aside from saying that if the Vikings can run the football, and I know what I sound like here, but this is the best I can do. If he, if he can run the football successfully, Kirk Cousins' numbers when he has second and short, third and short, are so outrageously better than they are in long situations. And it just makes it so much more difficult for pass rushers. 
when you when you're doing the play actions when you can boot away we've seen this happen a handful of times when they get ahead of the sticks because they can run even elite pass rushers just don't have great days against them that's why chicago gives them so many problems right because akeem hicks shuts down the run and then khalil Mack can just do his thing but i'm thinking of like philadelphia two years ago where rashad hill played and brandon graham was going up against him and it was fine because they were ahead of it the whole game so i think that there is a path to not getting sacked five times. But that is the one and only path because Cincinnati was able to take advantage of them when they were behind the sticks. And I think every single team will. And I keep going back to what Mike Zimmer said, we're not built to play like that. It's just true. No, you're that, just you're not. Right. And that's the only way to negate Chandler Jones. Yeah, I I appreciate the effort. I don't know if he'll get five sacks. I don't. I feel like that was an anomaly because, like, when we talk about pace, he'd be on pace for 85 sacks. I think that would break a single-season record by a long shot. By, like, um, 62 sacks yeah, exactly. or something? Um, but I just – I don't think they're going to have as stupid of a game plan as Tennessee did in just leaving Taylor Lewan out there, and then when they put a tight end over there in max protection, a tight end wasn't even chipping your, your star defensive end. He was just – getting the other guy especially if they played up in the box like I just feel like he didn't have the help that he needed so they clearly won't do that they'll probably throw multiple tight ends over there at it like like they do with Khalil Mack like they've done in other situations where you have really good elite edge rushers but I think Chandler Jones is going to wreak havoc on this game and just take advantage of that weakness like unless you're like gonna all of a sudden pull a switcheroo and put Brian O'Neill over at left tackle that's not happening I don't trust Rashad Hill over there and it's nothing against him I just think it's a complete disadvantage for him in terms of skill level um he's a good pass protector but I mean you have so Taylor Lawn is a pro bowler right at one point like and Rashad Hill is a veteran backup playing left tackle until your Christian Derisaw experiment decides it wants to work out that's going to be really tough. I can't I can't be talked into that one. Well, I've got no other attempts. Other That's than fine. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate the effort because I knew that that was – I set you up for failure because I knew that was a no-win yes. situation. Especially, but it had to be addressed. Especially since they just slowed down Derrick Henry in the run game. And I think that that – it's so funny to be talking about it this way in the year of 2021, how it sort of all connects back to the run game. But yeah. The Vikings are not going to pull a 2018 and go in the shotgun and make quick passes and just like no, matriculate someone will, down matriculate the field. Matriculate the ball down yeah, the field. Someone's going to get fired if they try to do that. And the offensive coordinator here knows that that's not how Zim wants to play offense. That's just not going to happen. And they really aren't built like that. Could they be? Yeah, I think there could be a little bit more of a balance, but hell, you didn't even see any balance last week because they weren't able to establish a ground game, which then, of course, and I know that all the football outsider nerds of the world will tell me, oh, you don't need the run game to set up play action. If you're in second and 20, there's no threat of the run, right. at least what you believe. So, you know, there's just there's no way to do that. There's no way to establish a deep passing attack. Like, the only way you could honestly do that is rolling him away from pressure. Like, yes. not even with bootlegs, just rolling him straight up away with right. pressure. Right. And I think they will try that. I mean, I think that, that changes they... launch points, you know? Exactly. Um, and I think the other part about that is there isn't a connection necessarily with teams that run the football really well and play action. Like, so there will be, even if you're a bad, here's a good example. The 2016 Vikings couldn't run for two freaking yards, but yet they were one of the best play action teams in the league. 
because defenses are going to play the same way each week. So that's the connection. But when there's no threat of play action, it, I, I, you know, you might as well not even bother because no linebackers jumping up to try and stop somebody on third and twenty, if it's a fake run. So I think that's kind of how that works. Uh, I want you to talk me into KJ Osborne, comma difference maker. I think the sheer number of snaps that he played in week one. And I know we've seen this like a few times with Aldrick Robinson, never with Chad Beebe playing that much, really never with Laquan Treadwell playing that much. It's been so sporadic that they've had a difference maker as their wide receiver three. The way that he continues on in this role, I think those catches that he made show Kirk Cousins, yeah, I can throw to this guy in critical situations. Throwing to him on third and 24 and the body control and staying in bounds and trying to hurdle that guy, and that set up Adam's touch, Adam Thielen's touchdown. The fourth and four catch, though, I think is the one that Kirk called elite, just that move that he made. Um, I... I just, you know, there's there's the body of work, and it's something that has been going on for him since spring, yep. so that makes a solid case. D.D. Westbrook, though, I don't think is ready yet. I think that yet last week was a pretty uh, – was indicative of where they think D.D. is at in terms of workload because he should be your number three receiver. Like, he should be. Like You can put him in the slot and you can put the other two outside. Um, they will continue to run 11 personnel, I think, as much as they did in week one. I know that because you can run out of 11 personnel too. That's what they did last year. They they barely use it to like throw out of it, but um, you can do that and still have an effective run game. So we'll see the snap count continue to be pretty big for him until I guess D.D. Westbrook is ready ready to play um, a more considerable role. But you know, Osborne can do things for you. I think that will really like. Maybe it doesn't show up in the stat sheet because he's he's freeing up some chances for Justin Jefferson. If they can actually establish a deep passing attack, if they can, you know, I think that you if you, if you can't do that, then you end up going short passing game, some slants, throw some crossing routes in. Like there are ways to do it where it's not just dinking and dunking your way down the field, but um, using KJ Osborne more than situationally is going to be the key for them because the second you go back to what you did with like the wide receiver three here the last couple of years teams are going to key in on that you're not you're going to have your secret target on third down taken away also the tight end group uh we didn't see anything from them in week one so I anticipate those targets going KJ Osborne's way because they're going to need him to block. They're going to need him to block. So they stop Chandler Jones. They are going to need him to block. So, they, sure. so there will be uh, no passes to the tight end. All yeah. those targets go to K.J. Osborne. I'm slightly talked into K.J. Osborne. Um, throughout training camp, you always have this feeling of, uh, you know, we've seen guys emerge in training camp yeah. and who knows. What's he going to do it when the lights are on? Right. But his first time out was doing it when the lights were on, mm-hmm. making a play with the football. And I don't think he's really a deep threat. But I also don't think you need necessarily someone to be this big, deep threat who's just always going 40 yards down the field. I think that having someone who's just reliable and can make a play, I mean, this it was very Jarius Wright-ish to have just made a play. That was the first person I thought of from 2016, the last like guy that was had a role that wasn't just a situational third and short type role or trick play type role like Jarius was a consistent element of this offense with Diggs and and Thielen and who was before that um 
Well, you had your Charles Johnson, yes. your Mike Wallace. The, the you Mike had Wallace, like the like 2014 of 15 yeah. and then 16 and him coming on. So I uh, I think that's a great comparison because he's really the last like third third receiving threat that was a consistent, give you 400, 500 yards, um, maybe like three or four touchdowns a year type threat. I think KJ Asburn could set up perfectly for that. Now there is a part of me, though, that looks over at the other team and says, uh, says yeah, look at all your weapons. Rondale Moore, <laughs> Christian Kirk. A.J. Green, and then DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins. yeah. And, and this is where we go, well, look, one team said we've got to give our quarterback everything, and the other team said hopefully a fifth-rounder becomes something, and maybe he will. And, and it seems like just from that that he did way more than we ever saw from Chad Beebe, yeah. just, for, just from a big third-down conversion where Two he made a special them. play, right, and then a fourth yeah. down that was really impressive. Um, so I, I am buying on K.J. Osborne. I am convinced okay. – that he can add more than we've seen before, whether that becomes truly dangerous, I think we're going to have to find out as it goes along. What would you like me to talk you into? Talk me into Patrick Peterson going back into the house mm. he built. I don't know if he actually built it, but no. um, don't think so. Uh, talk talk <laughs> me into him going back in there and just having an unbelievable day, picking off DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if he'll shadow him. I, he There was not enough to really go on for a storyline as far as Patrick Peterson in week one because Breland's play was so glaring at times. Um, so I feel like this is the true Patrick Peterson debut, and it comes week two against his former team. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the Straight Cash Homie Randy Moss homage, Can't Stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate check it all out at sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com everything is screen printed here in minnesota and i can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now soda stick at this point again that's sodastick.com minnesota sports inspired goods and keep your eye out for our soda stick giveaways Folks, Minnesota football is back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet for Minnesota football tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need to go for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees like the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices of all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference on your purchase price. We've got quite a slate of home games in downtown Minneapolis, including revenge game for Cleveland when they return to Minnesota and plenty more. Visit TickPick.com slash Insider today and use the promo code Insider to save $10 on your first order for Minnesota football tickets. Would it be the house that Aeneas Williams built, maybe? When was that stadium built? Uh, a while back. Like, I, mean, I think when they moved to Glendale from Phoenix like would have been... Two th in the 2000s, yeah, in the right? 2000s, like 03? Yeah. And Aeneas Williams, I think, left right before that. But he was like their best player in their history before they went to Glendale, I think. But uh, I'm not sure about the timeline entirely. Anyway, um, 
this will be very interesting because Patrick Peterson was not tested a whole lot, and he did noticeably stay on one side, I believe, throughout the entire game. So he did not travel around with a wide receiver, and Jamar Chase ended up notably on Bashad Breland and had some big plays there. But we just didn't get this feeling of, what does it really look like? And another problem that we're dealing with this week is the All-22 film, the coaches' film, has not been put out yet. So it's extremely hard to look at corners and go back and say, oh, Patrick Peterson was actually phenomenal or actually bad because you could only tell on TV when they actually target someone. So that's a hard analysis to do. So we are kind of getting our first real look at him and the targets that they have are just dynamic explosive Rondale Moore is one of the quickest players I think I've ever seen with the football his explosiveness is crazy and he averaged I think 17 yards catch last week so there's a lot to be uh, concerned about or nervous about with the secondary and with Patrick Peterson going back because I feel like this will be his first test and if he does end up on DeAndre Hopkins I mean that's one of the truly elite wide receivers in the league now I've not done a good job of talking you into it so let me attempt to just say that Patrick Peterson throughout training camp preseason didn't show us much we didn't see him in any preseason games on a daily basis in training camp he looked fine it wasn't like he was getting roasted and falling on his face but he is as savvy of a veteran player as exists in the NFL and he knows some of these receivers extremely well He knows their tendencies. He knows that building. He knows that coach. He knows their route combinations. Mm -hmm. That's where I could see Patrick Peterson having an advantage. I don't think he'll have some perfect game, some Darrell Revis or like Marshawn Lattimore against Devontae Adams this last week. I don't think that's what we'll get from Patrick Peterson. Those days are probably in the past. But can he be very good because of his familiarity and his uh, veteran intelligence? I'm going to say yes. I can be talked into that. I think situationally, and, and yeah, we didn't see it against Cincinnati because those targets, they, they saw the weak link very early on. I'm wondering, are we going to, at least in the early part of the season, until the Vikings get a good look at, at Peterson's athleticism to know, okay, is he a step slower going against elite receivers? Will they just play sides? Because remember in 2019, or was it the end of 18, they had to start doing that with Rhodes? Um, like because of the injuries and stuff yep. like that and just like him being a step slower. Will they have to do that with Patrick Peterson at some point? And just like in P- Peterson and Breland, like will we start seeing somebody shadow, you know, follow guys into the slot, do whatever? Like I think Patrick Peterson's the best corner on this roster. I really do. But he's also 31 years old. So I I think he will go in there and use the institutional knowledge. This is why you can probably use more of like the – the, the zone matchups if you want to if you want to go that route because it relies more on like the intuition and just like the the mental makeup than it does like pure athleticism versus athleticism um I think he will I don't think he's gonna get like torched by a DeAndre Hopkins I think he's honestly too smart of a player to to let that affect him so let me double up real quick I got two that I want from you okay one can be sort of quick and then the other one might be a little more complicated before we wrap up okay Talk me into why it was a good idea not to trade Cameron Dantzler to the San Francisco 49ers. Eh, well, they're getting on the plane, and Mike Hughes makes that pick to seal the win for the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Insult to injury. How poetic was that? I mean, my God. Um, 
I think that they realize we can't give up on this guy just yet. He played 13 snaps on special teams in the preseason. And I know Mike Zimmer on Wednesday said, well, if he wants to play, he has to play special teams. He's a backup. Backups play special teams here. Well, you got to get him better there first. And I think that that's on coaching. Because, if I mean – you got to do all you can do. Like, if you don't want to play it, then, like, that's on him, and he's going to find himself on the wrong side of this thing eventually and cut him. But it's too early, I think, to move on from him because, you know, if you trade him away, and the trade was what, for Drake Kirkpatrick or for... Well, I don't know what the offer was. It was just reported that they had called about Cameron Dantzler, and I think they are signing Drake Kirkpatrick. That's what it was. They were signing Kirkpatrick... um, because they had the injury to what's his name uh, during uh, Verrett. Yes, think is- uh, yeah. So they had a, they, I mean, they had a lot of injuries. They got hurt a lot in week one. Um, but I think that they still see if San Francisco was willing to call about him, they say, okay, well, another team sees the potential. We can't give up on this yet. And they just, you know, the Mike Hughes thing is just maybe an anomaly. Maybe Mike Hughes won't actually be good in Kansas City. I don't know. But you can't. That's a bad look. You start trading away, like, corners who have been here a year. You already lost Jeff Gladney, like, to a situation that was not within your control. But, goodness gracious, that would just be, I think, a really ugly look. And, and they don't have any depth. Like, that's the problem. Like, their depth isn't any good, but, like, at least you don't have any right now, and I don't think you can afford to do that. Right. That That's the biggest thing for me for not trading him away is that he is depth, and I don't have much trust still of Chris Boyd despite how he played in the preseason. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of we love Chris Boyd now, but um, this is a seventh-rounder who last year got a chance to play and really struggled. So mm-hmm. I'm going to need to see a lot more to be convinced that that's fine. So it's better to have some numbers. At the same time, if you don't like a guy, just get rid of him. I mean, it just it, it feels like they've just had enough of that with Dantzler, and he is in the doghouse. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely done some things that are wrong. Like, as far as, you know, where he's at right now with his career and just being a starter last year, like, I just want to, like, implore this – Um, and just drive this point home that he started last year and he wasn't great. Like you and I talked about this earlier today where, oh, best rookie cornerback for the second half of the season. Why? Because Jeff Okuda was hurt and was terrible when he was playing. All the other rookie cornerbacks were terrible last year. Usually cornerback is a very hard position to play right off the bat because of what they call you for and just like every advantage is to the receiver. So it's like, yeah, he was – the least worst of a bad bunch. Like, let's not look too highly into those PFF numbers uh, just from his rookie season from a short, small sample size because, A, he was hurt a good bit of 2020 because of injuries. And, um, you know, the, the sample size you have from Dancer doesn't never led me to believe, like, oh, this guy's going to be competing for a job this year. We knew the second that they signed Peterson, Breland, Alexander – that he was going to be a depth piece and that he was going to be using this year effectively as his rookie year to like learn how to play the position. Right. Also, let's be responsible with PFF grades. I showed you the chart. He had two good games last yeah. year with the coverage grade, too, out of all the games that he played, and it was against Mike Backup Lennon quarterbacks, yeah. and Mitch Trubisky. Right. So, you know, I, I could see, and, and it was always an unknown for me, and I could see why uh, they would get to this place where they just want to play veterans over him, but... Um, there is a part of me that says, well, look, if you don't think the guy is going to be anything and you've relegated him to not even playing, I mean, what's the point? But 
I, I think I'm talked into that not being a I good idea. I just think idea. it's too early. Yep. Like, he hasn't done anything that egregious. Like, he hasn't cost you a game. Like, I, they'll find a way to use him, and they need depth at some point because their depth is so bad right now. It's too early. It's just too early. Okay, last one, and All then right. we'll pick our scores or whatever you want to do. Um, just talk me into this Anthony Barr thing not being <sighs> red flags, whistles, flares shot in the air. Um, just all of the danger. That he's signs, not going on IR. Buttons. Yeah. Is that it? Is that the is that the way to talk me into it? Sure. Because him not practicing today when we were up there, I thought. I mean, well, what is what's going to happen here? The way I can talk you into this is telling you they know his body. They've seen him for you know nearly you know eight years now. Um, they know the knee. They know it's been a chronic thing for him, like on and off. And even Zim said, some days he feels good, some days he feels bad. Really hoping that he starts feeling good here because, you know, the run defense, I'm not going to, like, blame that on the linebacking group. Like, they, they ran the ball differently in the second half. And honestly, I felt like Nick Vigil had a decent game. Is it the same as having Anthony Barr in there? No. But um, they'd be okay without him I, for another week, I, I think. But – as far as him and long-term health and him not ending up on IR, this is just something that he's working through and that maybe he has to have another procedure or something else and then he'll be okay. But I, until they put him on IR, I, uh, I guess I wouldn't be too convinced that it's that serious. Not convinced. I'm no, sorry. that was that was tough. That was tough. I think we, it's a serious problem. The guy hasn't yes. practiced. Like, I mean, he has not been out there in in earnest since August 6th he practiced in limited capacity Wednesday last week and then he's DNP he's DNP for the game um I just that's a serious concern for me it's a problem like Anthony Barr and the injuries throughout his career here in Minnesota like they've been up and down I mean you think about the hamstring injury in 2018 um and, and some of the other things the pectoral injury last year like you need this guy like you really do. I just, I mean, I know I'm basically answering for you, but yeah, you just um, tanked. You just tanked that answer. I'm in sorry. The game, so. It's hard because <laughs> yeah, I, hard I, I know what I believe internally, and that's a hard one for me to try to fake. Yeah, that's um, that's why the game is the game. So you don't think the Vikings will win this contest? I haven't picked officially yet. I will probably. I'm like leaning probably eighty percent towards Arizona at the time of us recording this podcast, my picks don't go live until Friday morning. So with the ability to change based on what comes out in the injury report, who knows, but I'm going to end up picking Arizona in this game. I don't think it's going to be nearly as much of an ass kicking as it was with Tennessee, just like laying down and dying in that first game. But I think that Kyler Murray is going to be way too like, – going from Joe Burrow to this team. And, and that's why I was asking Mike Zimmer today. Like, there are some parallels. Like, they go four wide all the time. You got to see – well, not four wide, but you got to see some of that with, like, you know, really – three really dynamic, really good receivers. Can you take any of those tendencies that you had in coverage and, and be like, okay, that was good. Let's do that against the Cardinals. I think there's ways to beat to beat them and win this game, but – when I think of Chandler Jones and what he did last week, I, I'm so concerned about this offense still. I think defensively they'll be okay. Like, Kyler Murray's going to get his. You can't keep him in the pocket forever. That's fine. But I am very worried about what this offense – like, this offensive line, it's, there's no quick fix. 
Christian Dersaw is not going to be playing this weekend. So Mike Zimmer said it was a long process. I'm gonna that leads me to believe it's not going to be this week at all. So I don't know. I I but I, I right now I'm not picking the Vikings. No. What about you? I think I'm going to pick. Mike Zimmer pulls out all the stops defensively. Every scheme he's ever thought of is going in this week because you have no other choice. I mean, you have to win this. And I will say that they win with a Greg Joseph field goal. Hey, that's what I had last week. At the last at the last minute. And, boy, you were right. I mean, you got the it Greg Joseph. It just wasn't, you know, regulation, but he did kick a field goal to tie the game in regulation. Well, he probably would have again if Delvin Cook hadn't fumbled and yeah. the referees uh, hadn't called it a fumble. So uh, I'm going to go with that this week. Okay. I'm going to go with a Vikings bounce back where it will be – Ugly at times, but the defense does enough to hold down Kyler Murray, cause a turnover yeah. or something. They have to force some turnovers. Yeah. Like that's yeah. something that we just didn't see in week one. And so I'm gonna go that they win. I, I mean I haven't decided on a score yet, but maybe like twenty seven twenty four or something. Okay. The last minute Close, field goal. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Well, thank you for your time. And you mostly did your best until the final question. You know. Um, and we will do not it. Not all heroes wear capes. That's true. Uh so we'll do it Don't again. Don't know next what week. that has to do with this, but no. It's fine. Nothing.